Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello and welcome back to Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture, covering everything from the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Over 48,000 Texas farmers and ranchers have received funding through the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have more coming up. The coastal bend area received some much-needed and widespread rainfall as November came to a close. This is Harvey Buring reporting from the Corpus Christi area. Expanding market opportunities for U.S. corn. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. But first, here's Jessica Domel with news headlines. The U.S. Department of Agriculture has already paid out more than $11 billion in aid to U.S. farmers and ranchers who have suffered losses due to the coronavirus pandemic. More than 703,000 applications for aid through the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program 2 have been approved nationwide thus far. Of those, 48,930 approved applications are from Texas farmers and ranchers. The Farm Service Agency has distributed more than $545 million in Texas. The majority of that has gone to livestock producers. Farmers and ranchers have until the end of the week to sign up for CFAP 2 at their local Farm Service Agency office. Call ahead as an appointment may be required. Researchers in Texas have made a discovery that will help combat fastidious pathogens that cost U.S. agriculture billions of dollars annually. Dr. Kranti Mandati, a Texas A&M AgriLife research scientist, and his colleagues have developed a breakthrough method that allows them to control the damaging pathogens in a laboratory. Being able to control the pathogens in a laboratory allows researchers better access so they can find therapies to combat plant diseases. Fastidious pathogens infect citrus, tomatoes, potatoes, grapes, peppers, and other crops in Texas. According to AgriLife, the citrus industry alone would save $3 billion annually through control of just one of the diseases. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. 2020 has been one of the best years for selling sheep here in Texas in the last five decades. That's the word from Benny Cox, who manages Producers Livestock in San Angelo, the largest sheep and goat market in the nation. We're a totally, totally ethnic-driven market and have benefited so well from that process. Uh, the market kind of faltered there toward the end of March. Uh, we got all that that we lost back the first of uh, April, and this market has been fabulous all through 
uh, the summer months, which generally you have a big fall off in this fall, these, uh, the hair sheep lambs, which go to the ethnic market, and all these kid goats, uh, the market's as good as, as I've ever seen it. And I've been doing this for 52 years. Cox says we usually see a nice jump in the market between Thanksgiving and Christmas. But he says prices are so good right now that we may not see that seasonal market bump. In the last seven or eight years, we've gotten a big raise between Thanksgiving and Christmas. There's a big Christmas demand. I'm not sure there's any room for much of, you know, a, a big raise. I mean, this market is, is fabulous. I don't know what this market will stand. I feel like we're going to be uh, uh, certainly satisfied with the market uh, until we get into next spring, barring uh, some major catastrophe. Um, I, I think we're going to be uh, uh, we're going to get along quite well in our end of the deal, and and there and it looks as though there's going to be continue to be somewhat of a shortage for the traditional lamb kill uh, systems, and uh, so that in itself should uh, should help to maintain a, a good uh, a good market trend. Benny Cox, manager of Producers Livestock in San Angelo. The Texas Coastal Bend area received some much-needed rainfall as November came to a close. Harvey Buring reports from Corpus Christi. Well, after more than two months of well below average rainfall in the Coastal Bend, in fact, it was almost non-existent throughout the latter part of October through the uh, month of November up to Thanksgiving, but that Days after the Thanksgiving holiday came some much-needed rain, and the event wasn't a drought buster, but the rainfall amounts were significant in a few locations, up to two and a half inches. But the majority of the area received between an inch and a quarter and three-quarter of an inch, still helping the topsoil moisture situation, but again, not... uh, doing much to bank in some much-needed deep moisture across the region. Now, November was, uh, as we said, a very low rainfall month. We could have used that uh, rain much earlier, and it wasn't a drought buster, as mentioned before, because the Corpus Christi Weather Service Office indicated that following the event, The area is still 6.1 inches below normal for the year. Now, unfortunately for ranchers, uh, came a little late to stimulate much grass growth. Uh, December around the corner brought in with it the first freezes in the northern portions and inland counties of the coastal bend area. So not much chance for any improvement in range conditions in the area. Now, although the USDA Cotton Classing Office in uh, Corpus Christi remains very busy processing and grading samples from the upper coast and central Texas production regions, all but a couple of gins here in the coastal bend have wrapped up their 2020 season. As the classing office reported at the end of November, they have already processed some 1,657,000 bales this season, and they continue to receive bale samples from 23 out of the 50 gins in their territory. This is Harvey Buring reporting from the Corpus Christi area for Texas Ag Today. 
Texas corn farmers depend on export markets, and work is being done to open and expand those markets. Tom Nicoletti has more. My guest today is John Linder. He is president of the National Corn Growers Association. He's joining us from central Ohio, where he is a fifth-generation farmer who raises corn, soybeans, uh, some uh, red winter wheat, and uh, takes care of a lot of issues with NCGA. And, uh, John, let's talk about trade policy and expanding opportunities in new markets for U.S. corn. And thanks, Tom. Appreciate that opportunity to have a dialogue with you and your listeners. NCGA is very focused in trade because probably a third of agriculture, corn farmers' economy comes from trade. So when you look at that, uh, the effectiveness of trade agreements, the 20 that we have account for about 40% of our actual export trade market. So it's critically important to have those relationships uh, to bring that certainty. Let's talk about some of the the expanding opportunities, some new markets out there that uh, corn farmers and NCGA is looking at across the world. You know, 96% of our customers are outside of our own borders. So when we we look at the opportunities, uh, there's a a prime example of a place that we focus uh, very heavily on, and that's Southeast Asia, where there's a population of 702 million Certainly, they moved on and, and established a trade agreement in that region, but uh, we never really left that conversation and have been very attached to USTR and uh, getting us a position where we can maybe tap into a trade agreement in that market. They have a tremendous appetite for protein where corn as a whole product for feed as well as DDGS is a actually fit really well into to their appetite for protein. We can supply feed in that regard. So trade agreements in that region are, are critical to move forward. Very pleased that uh, phase one of the China trade agreement is uh, moving corn as uh, quick a pace as it has. A little bit of surprise to everyone that uh, China is number one purchaser of corn for years. We thought that may happen, didn't anticipate it this year. Uh, but we, you know, we've got some room to uh, try to negotiate away some of the tariffs and get ethanol and DDGSs into China as well. So tremendous opportunity in that region. What about uh, some markets that have been long-standing that uh, you know you're standing pat with those, and but they're still very good corn markets. Uh, I guess one that comes to mind is Mexico. Well, absolutely. You know, Mexico, Canada, Korea, Japan, very staple markets for us. Uh, they're, they've been the go-to uh, for many years and really, it's really great to have those agreements in place. Certainly implementation of agreements is a critical piece of which we engage on. And so there, there are some uh, uh, conversations still taking place in the implementation of those agreements. That is John Linder, president of the National Corn Growers Association. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Oak wilt is a deadly disease that can be spread by hunters and outdoor enthusiasts. We'll have more on oak wilt coming up in today's wildlife report. And most horses are vaccinated yearly for diseases, but sometimes horses have a reaction to those vaccines. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a closer look at that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an insurance agent who's a true neighbor. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Most horses are vaccinated every year for diseases, but what happens when you have a horse that reacts to those vaccines? Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a look. If you have a horse that reacts to vaccines, there is a concern about the horse developing a disease if the vaccine is not given. Although equine vaccines are generally safe, some horse owners are concerned about giving any vaccines to their horses. An alternative to vaccination that has been considered is checking blood titers to see if the horse is immune to a disease and vaccination is not necessary. A blood titer checks the amount of circulating antibodies that are present to fight a disease, but titers are not the only component of the immune system. The amount of protection of antibody titers in horses has not been studied in all diseases. And just because a horse has antibodies to a disease does not always indicate the horse is protected. In contrast, a horse given an intranasal vaccine may not have circulating antibodies and yet may be protected against the disease. The core vaccines for horses are rabies, tetanus, eastern and western encephalomyelitis, and West Nile. And circulating antibodies do play a large role in protection from these diseases. There are recommendations that indicate a level of antibodies in the blood that should indicate the susceptibility of a horse to a specific disease, although there is no evidence to support actual protection. Blood testing for antibodies to the respiratory diseases, including equine influenza, strangles, and equine herpes virus, have not been shown to correlate to protection against the disease or susceptibility to the disease. So checking titers for these diseases is not indicated. It is recommended to check a blood titer before vaccinating a horse for strangles to determine if the horse should be vaccinated. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Oak wilt can be a big problem in Texas oaks. Jonathan Moxinger with the Texas A&M Forest Service says hunters and other outdoor enthusiasts can watch for some specific signs that indicate a tree has been infected. A lot of times you'll see leaves starting to turn brown and the tree just gets kind of an unhealthy look to it. For live oaks, one of the things that we look for is called venal necrosis fancy words for the veins turning brown, basically, while the the remainder of the leaf is green. That can be one possible sign that a tree has oak wilt. For red oaks, they typically succumb pretty quickly to oak wilt. So if you have a red oak that starts looking poorly and then within a a few weeks or a month is mostly dead, there's a, a good chance that oak wilt is the cause of that. Moxinger says a big way that oak wilt spreads is through the transportation of firewood. So the recommendation is to burn it where you buy it and avoid transporting it long distances. He also recommends painting, pruning, or cutting wounds in a tree. And if you have an oak that you want to try to save from an oak wilt infection, there is a treatment. Yeah, there is a uh, treatment that you can use. There's a fungicide that can be injected into the tree, and the the tree will take that up, and, and it helps to block the uh, block the the 
fungus from getting established in the tree. This is typically only used for fairly high-value trees uh, because it is something that needs to be done repeatedly in order to, to maintain that, that uh, level of protection. Jonathan Moxinger with the Texas A&M Forest Service. Well, it was not a good way to start the week for the cattle market on Monday. We saw prices drop, triple-digit losses on most contracts in both live and feeder cattle. However, cotton and grains did climb higher. We'll take a closer look at all of our livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it here on Texas Ag Today. back looking at another lopsided matchup jim today we have a combine taking on a train yeah that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine no competition there right especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train that's 18 football fields it's no contest every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings see tracks think train this message brought to you by operation lifesaver We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Cattle futures had a negative start to the week on Monday. We ended up in the red across the board on both live and feeder cattle. A triple-digit drop on most of our contracts. December live cattle down 87 cents, 108 even. February down $1.37 at 111.02. April live cattle down $1.215.15. Feeder cattle dropping lower January down a dollar ninety seven at one thirty seven eighty. March feeders down a dollar twenty seven one thirty eight fifteen. The April down a dollar thirty two one thirty nine forty five. Cash fed cattle market all quiet on Monday. We wrapped up last week selling cattle anywhere from one ten to one twelve. That was mostly in the middle of the week. By the time we got to Friday, we had dropped down to where most cattle were selling at one ten. That's steady with the previous week. The box beef market moving lower throughout all of last week. That put a lot of pressure on prices. It was lower again Monday. Choice down a dollar forty eight two thirty three fifty four. Select down four ninety nine at two twelve fifty two. Let's check a couple of auction markets now. We'll go to the weekly sheep market in San Angelo. Producers livestock selling 4,235 head of sheep and goats. Compared to the previous week, wool feeder lambs sold 10 to $20 higher. Slaughter hair lambs, 20 to 30 higher. Slaughter ewes, 10 to 15 higher. Kid goats, 15 to 20 higher. The slaughter nannies, $1.20 to $1.76. Mostly in the 140 to 160 range. Mature billies, $1.80 to $2.32. Wooled feeder lambs, $1.90 to $3. Slaughter lambs, lighter weights bringing $2.30 to $3.60. The heavier weights, $1.80 to $3.12. Slaughter ewes, $0.80 cents to $1.26. The kid goats, $2.40 to $3.82. Mostly $2.65 to $3.30 with some feeders as high as 406. Beeville Livestock Commission, Beeville, Texas, 831 head. The trend was steady. Two to three weight steers, $1.17 to $1.65 a pound. Three to four weights, $1.16 to $1.81. 
Four to five hundred pounders, a dollar eleven to a dollar sixty-five a pound. Five to six weight steers, ninety-eight cents to a dollar fifty. Six to seven hundred pounders, eighty-six to a dollar twenty-eight. And the seven to eight weight steers brought eighty-one to a dollar seventeen a pound. Slaughter cows, twenty-nine to fifty-two cents. Slaughter bulls, sixty-seven to seventy-eight. Stocker cows brought five ten to seven sixty a head. Cow calf pairs eight fifty to ten ninety a pair. Back over to the futures market now. Lean hogs dropped lower on Monday, December down a dollar thirty seven sixty four fifty. February hogs down a dollar sixty two at sixty four ninety five. January class three milk up forty cents sixteen twelve a hundred weight. The cotton market. Closed sharply higher on Monday. Some bullish optimism in the market as traders get ready for Thursday's big USDA supply and demand report. That report was definitely supportive for the market last month. They're expecting to see more supportive news this month. We've seen the last few weekly export sales come out looking very strong for cotton. USDA indicating that it expects U.S. cotton exports to China to increase for the 2021 season, mainly driven by China's recovering textile industry. We closed with March cotton up 81 points, 72.38. The May up 81, 73.26. December 21 cotton up 77 points at 71.47. The wheat market closed higher, continuing to get support from dry weather in Russia and here in the western U.S., we close with December Kansas City wheat up one and a quarter, five forty-two and a half. New crop July wheat up one and three quarters, five fifty-four. July soft Chicago wheat up two and three quarters, five eighty-two and a quarter. Higher close in the corn market. December corn up two and a half, four nineteen and a half. The energy markets lower. January natural gas down fifteen cents at two forty-two. January crude oil down 53, 45.73 a barrel. The financial markets mixed. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 172 points, 30,045. The Nasdaq up 48, 12,513. The S&P 500 down 10, 3,688. That wraps up a look at the markets, and that wraps another episode of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I hope to see you then. I'm Kerry Martin, and this is Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website, at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.